Hello and welcome to the Web3 Podcast. I'm your host, Callum Woodcock, and this is the show that shines a light on some of the founders, creators, thought leaders, and investors on this brand new frontier of the internet. I'm joined today by Paddy Vance and Neil Rushton-King. Paddy and Neil have more than 50 years consulting experience between them, having respectively held a plethora of senior roles at companies like KPMG, Barclays, Capgemini, and Lloyds. They are also the founders behind Mind. Mine is a Web3 native consultancy disrupting industries with new Web3 technology. Neil and Paddy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Callum. Glad to be here. So to kick us off then, and maybe Neil, you go first on this one. I would love to hear about your background and how you ended up in Web3. Cool. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I guess, a, a career consultant. Uh, I spent about 10 years of my, uh, my career with Accenture. Was a senior manager there. I then uh, left to do some kind of direct work with clients and ended up back at uh, a Capgemini event as a, as a director there. So kind of 22 years in the, in the consulting space, uh, mostly mostly in strategy uh, and mostly focused on on TradFi. Um, I'd had some early interest in in Bitcoin around about kind of 2012 through 2014, but utterly lacked the conviction. Got totally shaken out by the volatility. Uh, to my eternal regret, uh, and as I've been working in TradFi, like the the kind of crypto Web three blockchain space was always sort of in my peripheral vision, but didn't really have the time to kind of focus on it or get much more involved post twenty fourteen. Um, and then last year twenty twenty one, we had a, a kind of family situation, which meant that I just needed to to like literally finish work uh, one lunchtime and, and take a sabbatical. And out of that sort of fairly negative event, actually, it was the first time that I'd had the opportunity to sit down and focus on the kind of, you know, the, the blockchain, Web3, crypto space in, in six or seven years. And I was utterly blown away by how much the space had moved on during that period, like how much talent had flooded into the, uh, into the industry and how much it moved on in terms of technology and, and maturity. And because I'd been working very heavily in TradFi, and in particular, kind of being a translation there between business strategy and engineering, and very focused on trying to transform or rebuild the extremely poor offerings of the, the traditional uh, banks in the UK from a digital perspective, I kind of started looking at Web3 in detail, much more in the kind of white, uh, DeFi space, um, payment space, and so on. And again, I was blown away by how much better this stuff, albeit nascent, is in the in the Web3 space. So if I take a super simple example of things like international payments, if I want to make a payment internationally from my UK bank account, depends where in the world, to some parts of the world it's smoother than others, but you know, I should basically expect that payment to take a couple of days to settle and cost whatever, you know, maybe 20, 30 cents all the way up to more than that, depending on the currency. So, so if I take something like uh, Strike, which is um, uh, a payment mechanism over the, the Bitcoin rails, um, there it's possible to make uh, a payment from any currency to any currency with instant settlement. So the beneficiary is able to spend that money instantly uh, and with basically 0.0 cent fees. So, uh, and it's able to do that because it's working on open proprietary networks, as opposed to the TradFi banks who are bolting together lots of different proprietary networks. So as soon as I realized, you know, the, the scale of the inefficiency and innovation that was available in 
the Web3 space, that was it for me. I was never going to go back to uh, to TradFi. So ever since then, I've kind of been purely focused on on Web3. And Paddy, do you want to give a, a bit of an intro to yourself and how, how you ended up in, in the Web3 space? Yeah, sure. It's a bit of a weird journey, let's say. Uh, so <laughs> It is for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Tell me about it. I mean, we can go into that in a lot more detail. Uh, so I... Um, Yes, I've been working for quite a long time. Um, so this is my 27th year, I think, since uh, leaving uni. And of those 27 years, 25 of them were pretty much in the city of London, uh, working either as a regulator or being regulated or consulting in a regulated space. And whichever lens you look at it from, um, you know, I'm quite passionate about making sure that, you know, there's no harm to the market and similarly, that harm to consumers is kept to a minimum. And having worked in the traditional finance space, I've seen incredible harm to the market and also incredible harm to consumers over a long period of time. And I don't really see that trend changing too quickly. Um, so I think I became a bit disenchanted with, with the world as it was when you look at some of the bigger challenges we're facing into. Uh, and this really started with a piece of work I did in 2019, trying to explore about how we could uh, use data to enable us to respond to those who are more vulnerable in society. Uh, then we had the pandemic that became more exaggerated and now into a massive focus around the cost of living. And I'm not proud of being prescient. And I think it was pretty obvious that we've started to see more and more wealth concentration into a smaller group of people. So right. redistribution of wealth is, is a really key thing for me. Um, and I started to get involved in Web3 communities in August of last year. I hadn't really been an investor in, in the crypto space, uh, mainly in a few coins, none of which had performed particularly well. Um, but I wanted to get a real understanding of what the opportunity was from Web3 in order to, to help with some of the bigger macro challenges that we're facing. So I took a big step, left my 25-year career behind, um, and moved into this space. And we can talk about the journey and experiences I've actually had. It's been absolutely fascinating. There's some great things about the past, great things about the future, and equally some challenges that we're facing into as well. So, so here I am. Here I am. It's fantastic. I mean, the thing that really strikes me talking to you two is just how blue chip your backgrounds are. And I think often many of the guests that have appeared on this podcast, this is in no way taking away from, from their experience and their success, but they've come a more renegade route i suppose to web3 so it's really interesting to see both of you with your background your 25 years in the city paddy and 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 still understanding the fact that this space has fascinated you so much that it's brought you in so i'd be really interested considering the journey that you've been on both of you in your careers to understand what you'd say to someone who is perhaps skeptical of the utility of web3 you know there's a lot of talk at the moment particularly in the crypto bear market as we as we are in now as to whether web3 is a fad or whether it's you know really got this long-term value and, and neil i know you gave some examples uh in your in your introduction there of why it's not a fad but i would be interesting to put that question to you to both of you yeah. and and understand you know what is the real utility of web3 or is it just a flash in the pan yeah so i'm i mean i guess the answer is no, obviously, because we wouldn't be here or if we if we thought that it was. <laughs> but but I definitely understand why people so think I've missed, that. I've missed a lot of time in this podcast. Yeah. It's a fad. <laughs> yeah, so the answer, yeah, sorry, it's a fad. We're, we're, we're done now. Um, <laughs> right, go on. You can wrap up, go home. Stop listening yeah, yeah, now, guys. Indeed. Sorry about that. Um, 
So no, no is the short answer, but I can definitely understand why people think that. And, you know, particularly in a, in a bear market like this. Um, so if you look at, you know, kind of price volatility, you know, series of kind of high profile scams, hacks, failed experiments, of algorithmic, stable coins like Terra Luna, 3AC, Celsius, those guys blowing up. And then, you know, a bunch of people paying like hundreds of thousands of pounds for a monkey JPEG. Like I can understand why people think that that space is faddish and, and scammy. Um, but basically, if you, if you look at like blockchain technology, it's been around now for a long enough period of time. So Bitcoin white paper back in 2008, so we're 14 years on from that. It's been through, you know, multiple bear markets since then to a degree, like this has stood a reasonable test of time. Um, and I think there's, a, you know, and it, it's not going away quickly. I think there's a bunch of things, both from a technical trend perspective and a social trend perspective that are combining to make this space more or less inevitable. And I think if yeah. you look at, um, you know, that kind of old crypto meme of, of just zooming out, um, you have a look, the, the trend is basically up and to the right. And if you compare the speed of growth or the pace of growth of Web3 uh, versus the original internet, you know, it's growing 53% faster. So th th this space is, I would say, kind of typical of a nascent, technology industry right um and there's a whole bunch of experimentation there's some stuff that will go wrong there'll be a whole bunch of things that go to zero but it's you know it's kind of a glorious experimentation and, and the trend is is up and to the right we can look at you know more detail like specific elements of web3 so for example if you look at nfts um you know i'd say that the kind of dominant use cases for nfts that we're seeing at the moment are things like nft art or nft profile pictures um, you know, I, I guess looking at the art side for a second, like, I think it's a super positive thing that, you know, a whole bunch of artists are now able to actually, um, you know, get a, a kind of mass audience and sell their art directly to, um, to consumers. That, that's a super positive thing, I think. Do I think that all of the, the art being sold as, you know, kind of one of one collections as NFTs is, is good? Like, yeah. no. Um, a bunch of it will, will no doubt go to zero, but actually, you know, the, the great stuff will survive and it'll be a really good early use case of how NFTs can be used. And a bit like, you know, the kind of profile picture space, I think there's some brilliant innovation from like Lava Labs with CryptoPunks or, you know, or Bored Apes. Uh, and, and there it's not really about the art, it's about something else. It's, it's the community, it's the bringing together of a bunch of kind of like-minded people around the thing, around these NFTs. So if I look at something like the board AP ecosystem, you know, for me, that's about building a community. It's about bolting on lots of different components like the mutant apes. It's about moving into a new space. The metaverse is creating an empire around, you know, kind of media in the future. So the, this offers a lot more than just like, you know, kind of pictures of, uh, of monkeys. Um, I would argue, though, that, you know, a bunch of the people that have tried to kind of copy that, um, you know, CryptoPunks, Bored Apes model with 10,000 collections, like a lot of that stuff is going to zero because the market can't sustain a bunch of things that are, you know, are fairly similar. But there's still lots of kind of great experimentation in here around things like CCO, Creative Commons, with, with projects like Nouns, etc. So for, for me, these are just like early use cases of what NFTs can be used for. And the possibilities outside of, you know, art and, and PFP collections are enormous. So anything where you want to kind of confer digital property rights, you can use an NFT for. And, you know, we have gazillions of cases for how that will work in the future. This is like the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's the very first 
dawnings of the industry? There are a lot of fads in Web3 and there are a lot of um, projects which don't really have a long-term vision around the utility. They generally tend to focus around, at best, the technology and then look for a solution as opposed to analysing you know, what the problem is and therefore does Web3 play a part in resolving that problem. So we, gen- we generally tend to find that um, and, you know, people and businesses and founders throwing a lot of solutions at a problem and seeing which one's going to stick, as opposed to being part of uh, permeating into a cohesive strategy for either a client or a sector that's going to take them to the next level and turbocharge their business. And, you know, there's a lot of damaging activity that's actually out there in the market. We can still see lots and lots of projects that are coming out, uh, which are looking to to raise funds and, and, and raise capital in relatively short order, but without a long-term vision. And you generally tend to find that most of those go to dust relatively in relatively short order. I mean, one of the things I find I found really interesting about this space also is there's a real lack of completer finishers. I don't know whether that's because we have a lot of the community are very creative and designers and like to ideate and come up with incredible, incredible solutions, but aren't used to doing the gritty end-to-end delivery of the whole piece to make sure that it sticks and that it works. Um, and with that, that creates a lack of trust and faith in the investor community as well. So it, the more we start to see practical use cases of how this technology is being adopted so that, that the person on the high street can use it and, and not even understand any of the back-end processes that are going on in terms of the technology, but just get what they need in a, in a really easy fashion, and the more we'll start to see the adoption of Web3 and it becoming normalised. Yes, absolutely. And you've teed me up very nicely for my next question there, Paddy. So uh, I think it's a little bit telling, and I think that's, this is also reflective of the attitude of many people to the Web3 space, that some, many of the examples that you both use there are around the kind of speculative investment element to Web3, if that makes sense. So, you know, the, the NFTs, this this concept of, okay, people want something, so it's therefore going to drive up this value. But I'd be interesting, Paddy, interested, Paddy, on the back of what you've just what you've just said to ask, you're talking about the average man on the high street or woman on the high street, um, I don't want to get cancelled, uh, <laughs> using, using Web3 technology and basically not even really knowing that they're using Web3 technology and that being the kind of key indicator that it has truly arrived. And but I'd be interested, particularly given what Neil was saying at the at the beginning of this conversation around what drove him into this space. In your opinions, what problems are Web3 uniquely placed to solve, you know, outside the kind of speculation on crypto, speculation on NFTs? You know, what are the real world applications that you're seeing? I mean, like for me, the really try answer is what won't it cover? And it's a bit like, Calum, you're a, a very young man. Me and Paddy are a little bit older, but... Um, you know, we're, we're kind of old enough to remember. Very, very generous. Thank you. Uh, thank you. No, no. Study on you. I'm, I'm looking forward I'm 28, to the so I'm getting a bit nervous about the age thing. <laughs> God, it makes me sick. Uh, so the, uh, I can cast my mind back to, you know, the kind of the, the dawn of the Web 1 era. And like life after Web 1 is very different from life before Web 1. There is almost nothing that hasn't been touched by you know, the advent of the internet, like it's turned lives, industries, everything upside down. And I think the same is true of, uh, of Web3 as well. So we've already talked about how much, 
you know, faster Web three is growing than than uh, than Web one did, and I think it will it will turn everything upside down, and, and we see that in our work. So you know, we'll talk a little bit more about mine I think as we go, but um, you know, we focus on both client businesses as well as trying to disrupt um, you know whole industries. And there's never been a client business or an industry that we've looked at in detail that you couldn't apply Web three to, and you know, create a whole bunch of value or create a whole bunch of, of disruption. So when we tend to think about Web3, um, we spend a lot of time kind of looking at the functional benefits um, and there are loads of these. So we haven't got time to kind of go into all of that detail. But if we just pick something super simple like transparency or immutability, you know, in, in Web3, we build on top of open immutable blockchains that are in, entirely transparent to anybody that wants to, to look at them. Like in our, you know, I explained in the intro, in our former lives, we worked in the TradFi space and both of us have worked with TradFi banking clients who genuinely have lost hundreds of thousands of customers. And what I mean by lost is like these are accounts where people are spending money um, to a large degree, uh, but we, the, the bank does not have the name, the date of birth, the contact details for the people that own that account. Uh, and that leads to all sorts of problems in terms of, you know, not being able to provide them with up-to-date information about that account or changes to T's and C's, all of that type of stuff. Like that just can't happen in the Web3 world where you're building on top of blockchain technology. So just in, in that sort of simple example, like, you know, the, the, the use of blockchain technology is, is super powerful. And for another example, where we've worked with, um, you know, kind of ed tech companies um, as part of our mind journey. And I'm not sure whether this stat is apocryphal or not. I probably need to go and look it up. But I have heard that um, if you search on LinkedIn for the number of people that have done uh, Harvard MBAs, you'll get back a significantly higher number uh, than people who have actually ever attended Harvard Business School. So, um, you know, Callum will be looking pretty carefully at your credentials kind of post this, uh, this <laughs> session. But so The Cambridge degree is fake. Well, indeed, um, I will be looking into it. But, you know, so as soon as you start to, to look at this type of stuff, like the, the value of those credentials start to be dim diminished if they can be, you know, faked or forged. Whereas if those uh, credentials existed on the blockchain, you know, for example, using soulbound tokens, I know Vitalik uses this as like a really good example for the use of SBTs. You know, that, that would be a perfect way to kind of give those credentials real meaning um, because they are immutable, they can be checked by anybody and nobody can fake them. And they're connected to an individual in perpetuity. Um, and there are a whole bunch of other, you know, kind of examples that we've looked at. So, for example, again, like in the wine and spirits industry, um, which is right for disruption in loads of different ways. But there, fakes and forgeries are a massive problem. But you can eliminate that at like one fell swoop by using blockchain technology to record provenance from producer through all the secondary tertiary etc sales you could also do some much more interesting stuff from like a sustainability perspective and basically start to record the whole of the production or supply methodology on chain so you understand for any any particular good like how much chemical uh, how many chemicals have been used within the production what's the water usage look like uh, are the people that are producing that stuff um, paid a living wage for example and all of that information is really interesting to consumers, particularly as we start to look more and more um, to shop from a kind of sustainability perspective. So if we looked at just like one small functional benefit of, uh, of Web3 uh, in, in transparency and immutability, you've got all of these kind of plethora of advantages. 
And there are a whole bunch of other kind of functional benefits of, of Web3. Another great example would be something like incentivizing communities. So we talked a little bit earlier on about the kind of Yuga example. Um, Web3 is a brilliant way of kind of bringing communities together and then using tokenomics to provide people with an incentive structure to grow that, that network. So in, in our methodology, we spend a lot of time focusing on who is part of a community. So basically every, every business has a community, a set of consumers that it wants to appeal to. So again, if we look at that kind of ed tech example, um, their growth is constrained by having to provide education to their dire uh, consumers directly. And they can improve that by investing in technology and, you know, in digital to a bunch of, uh, for a bunch of different reasons, but they can't scale in a exponential or kind of non-linear way, but they have a, you know, vast community of assessors, mentors, alumni, other students, independent content providers. And if you can provide the right incentive structure to all of those different community members, you can start to incentivize them to behave in a way that brings value to that community, that grows that community. Uh, and you can start to achieve network effects uh, and scale in an exponential way. And pretty much every business in the world can do that type of thing. It just means having uh, or applying the right level of, um, you know, of kind of Web3 incentive structures to those types of businesses. So, you know, in answer to your, your question, um, there is almost, you know, kind of no industry or no client that you can't improve, turbocharge, accelerate their growth by adding in, uh, you know, a bunch of Web3 benefits. And, and this is why we're so kind of bullish on the whole space. Paddy, you come from a very interesting background and uh, I, there's been a, a mixed, uh, a mixed, a mixed selection of views, I suppose, from previous guests on this podcast of the role of regulation in Web3. Some people regard it as the enemy. I would say the majority regard it as something that this space really needs and the only thing that's going to take it mainstream. I know from your introduction, you're, you're very, very passionate about, about both consumer protection and, and marketplace protection, as you mentioned. So I'd be interested to understand um, from, from, you know, from your perspective, what are the... What are the problems that, that Web3 are uniquely placed to solve, but also like the role of regulation in Web3? I think you're probably the most qualified guest I've had on this podcast to ask this question. So, you know, is, is regulation a threat or an opportunity within the Web3 space? I appreciate I've gone a little bit off script. So if you want to take some no, time. No, 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 that's absolutely fine. I, mean, I, I, can, I, can, I can bore people for hours on it. So I think for me, uh, yeah. So, I mean, look, regulation is a relatively dry topic. It's not the sort of thing you, you know, you spark up at, at a dinner party or a barbecue. Um, but, but, but since we're here, so, so for me, I'd say that um, let, let's take the let's take the UK regulator because that's the one I'm possibly closest to. So, the the FCA at the moment, you know, it, it regulates over seventy thousand firms, and they they go from IFAs on the high street through to some of these huge banks. So they've got a huge remit already in the world that we're in, and they have a number of challenges in the world we're in as it currently stands. So to increase their remit into digital assets and the scope is actually something that if I were a regulator, I'd be quite terrified by for a number of different reasons. One, it's quite new. Two, I've already got a huge existing workload. And three, I don't necessarily have all the skills I need in my business to help regulate it because you don't generally tend to find people who have 
knowledge in the Web3 space gravitating towards working in regulators. Well, not at this stage anyway. Um, but do I think it's a good thing? Yeah, of course I do. I think it's a good thing because, you know, we need to be in a position where if, if that it's proportionate, if consumers are suffering harm, then there is some form of backdrop. If, if there isn't a backdrop for them, they're just simply not going to engage because it's safer to actually operate with the existing product suite they have available than to go for something that's new. And what I generally tend to find is that from investors and, and, and other founders or business owners who are moving into this space is a lot of them are, are thinking about where is the most permissible uh, regime to sit in. And generally it tends to be places like Cayman Islands, British Virgin Islands, which you know, are seen as tax savings as well. And if anything, they're almost the complete opposite of Web3 in terms of wealth concentration. So, you know, the view, the, view, the view that I take on this is that regulation is a good thing. However, it does need to be principle-based and proportionate. So there's a number of different solutions, for example, that we're creating, whether it's with clients or in, in, in terms of platform plays, where, you know, what, what, what we're talking about is individuals being able to buy or sell wine and spirits, for example, or buy or fast-moving consumer goods. Now, traditionally, these have never really sat within the scope of financial services regulators, but you can easily wander into that depending on how you structure your utility token and whether it's going to be defined as a security and similarly whether or not you're, you've got a DAO and whether it needs to be a limited liability partnership or limited liability corporation, whatever it might be. And what, I, what I would say to anyone who, who's aiming to set up a business where there is a likelihood that there could be harm either to the market or to consumers is they are going to be captured by regulation in the future. So my best advice would be to have a very clear approach around how you're managing these risks, how you're controlling these risks and how you can demonstrate as uh, law becomes made into rule that actually you're either complying or if you're not complying, the reasons why you're not complying with a really strong argument for, for, for doing so. I think running away from it is is the biggest risk to take. So I, I've worked, as I say, I've worked in a heavily regulated environment for a period of time where it's, it's quite difficult to comply. Not not because people are intent on breaking the rules, but just because of the sheer depth of them and not necessarily having the technology or the data that can support the decisions they need to make. And that's one of the benefits clearly about being Web three, having stuff on chain, it being immutable, having a very clear clear audit trail around decisions, what's being done, who's bought what what's involved within the product set actually if anything is going to strengthen the position in terms of being able to demonstrate decisions that are being made but i'd say that it's, it's a very very it's a, it's a risky path to go on the lines of you know seek forgiveness not ask permission and i've, I've heard yes. many, many people saying this and eventually you know the regulators and the legal framework will catch up and when they catch up they'll go after the biggest players to see whether or not they can, can so um, yeah, I'd say it's a, it's it's pretty savvy to to be aware of what's down the track, horizon scan, and then establish how your business model or your your offering is going to be able to comply with that. Now, the other challenge we have obviously is that some of the platforms that we're looking to to deal with are global plays. Okay, so they'll go across different jurisdictions and different regulators, which will all have different views. Yes. So. I think the, the, the challenge is how do we create a global decentralized regulatory framework which is going to enable 
us to actually seize on this innovation curve that we're going through and enable us to get the adoption that goes alongside it. Yes. There's a, interestingly, there's an all-party parliamentary group investigation into uh, crypto going on right this moment. The submissions due on Monday, which we'll be submitting on as well. Just to, just to help the, without sounding patronising, but to, to engage directly with, with the UK regulators and the, and the parliamentary groups to understand the opportunity for the UK here with Web3 to be yes. able to attract in top talent and to be able to attract in completely new business models to help to help boost the UK economy, which which is desperately needed. Yes. And <clears throat> helping those regulators navigate through what's down the track and therefore enabling them to be uh, proportionate in their response is really key. And I think that's a super important point for a couple of reasons. So that there's a really brilliant... Uh, thread from Punk6529 on crypto Twitter, if anybody wants to, to go and look at it. And so the, the FCA, for example, in the UK, where, where we're mostly based, um, you know, they have a remit to protect investors from harm, but they also have a remit to grow the UK economy. And if you look at like the worlds of Web 1 and Web 2, overwhelmingly the US won Web 1 and Web 2. So, you know, look at the, the, the Web 2 world. There are all the tech giants, you know, the Googles, the Facebooks, et cetera. They all sit in, in the US, at least outside of, you know, kind of protected uh, jurisdictions like China. The only, you know, big tech company that exists in, uh, in Europe is, is SAP. So there's an enormous opportunity as we start to kind of stare down the barrel of, of Web3 for regulators, for any individual jurisdiction to try and provide a kind of proportionate environment so that um, Web3 can, uh, can thrive within that, that jurisdiction. This is a, a massive yeah. opportunity, I think. Um, I think regulation is key. I think it's one of the things that a lot of our clients talk about and they're nervous about, like this absence of, you know, a kind of clear structure around, uh, around regulation. So it, it's a problem that needs to be solved for Web3, but I think it needs to be done with an, with an even hand. And the governments and yes. the regulators that get it right, they will do enormous benefit to, to their, you know, their populace. Um, I think the, yes. the only other thing I would add is from a, from a mind perspective, we also, like the regulator, don't want to do harm to our consumers. So we, we build our solutions with that in mind. You know, we mentioned right up top that one of our aims is to drive mass Web3 adoption. So our solutions always come hand in hand with, you know, a degree of handholding with the consumers, with a level of education so that the consumers are super clear about what we're delivering. And importantly, you know, not what, 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 what we are not delivering as well. So I think it's also incumbent on the people building within Web3 to do that in the most open, educational, you know, non-scammy way possible. It shouldn't all be down to regulation. Yes. I agree. And a classic example of that. So <clears throat> if you take insurance products in the UK, as they currently stand, yes, anyone who's providing these products, when they're providing the financial promotions material, it needs to be suitable enough that it can be read by someone with a mental age of a 12-year-old. Now, when you look at um, some of the narratives that are being created, and I know I appreciate narrative is part of um, any product set or a, a lot of the space that we're in Web3 now is absolutely key. And you'll see it across so many um, different offerings that are out there. But if it becomes too complex or people just don't have the time to engage because, you know, you go past one paragraph and then most people just switch off, 
then they're going to misunderstand it. Even if they do interact with it, they're probably likely to misunderstand it and, and yes. not engage further. So UX has a has a really, really important part to play in this in terms of helping uh, consumers as they enter into this journey to properly understand what they're going into. Now, this is not me suggesting that they understand everything, you know, lift up the bonnet and understand all of the engineering that sits underneath it. Absolutely not. But they do need to understand the nature of the product and how it works and how they need to function and interact with it. So we see that as being uh, really essential. And that's that's echoed throughout most of the sound part of the Web3 community. Educating consumers um, around this is absolutely massive. If we don't get that right, then uh, we, we can really face into some major problems both now and in the future. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic answer. Um, quickly, and this is also a point to be edited out, um, I can completely see why you wanted this to be a two-parter, and I think it's going to have to be because there are so many different rabbit holes we could go down based on the answers you've both given that I could nerd out about for hours. But um, so kind of, I've got, I've got three more questions for you both. I'd love to ask, how does mine fit into this, this new Web3 landscape? Clearly, you're passionate enough about it to launch a business in this space, to move away from these, if you don't mind me saying, and I don't mean this in an, as uh, an insulting way at all, but these quite traditional careers that, that you've both had. So how does mine fit into this landscape? What's mine's raison d'etre, if you like, yeah. given you're in France, Neil, I thought I'd use a French word there. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yes, I understood that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I, I think from, for our, our raison d'etre is, is pretty simple. It's basically we want to use Web3 tools and techniques to positively disrupt industries and to turn industries upside down. And in so doing, we want to drive mass Web3 adoption and do it in a way that, you know, is, is kind of positive, is educational and brings uh, brings consumers with us. We've developed, um, you know, almost in opposition, I guess, to some of the stuff that we talked about earlier in terms of fads and, and, and that type of thing, ephemera. We've developed a pretty comprehensive methodology that we follow with all of our clients or in all of the industries that we're focusing. Uh, so the first step of that is to go super deep on the industry or the business, look at the, you know, the whole landscape, the strategies, the threats, the opportunities. And we do that yes. completely agnostic of Web3. Like we're not even thinking about Web3 at that stage. And only once we've kind of built up that picture, do we then start to look at Web3 and we start to try and align some of the functional benefits that exist within Web3 and apply Web3 tools and techniques to basically kind of turbocharge those uh, those opportunities and those strategies. And once we've done that, we then start to focus on the change management elements. So, if, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about community. So for community, as an example, we would really want to understand, well, who are all the different participant types within that community? What can they all bring to the community that will allow it to grow in, you know, in the fastest, most positive way possible? And then how do you provide the right incentive structures for people to do that on a daily basis? And once you have all of those things in place, how do you curate or manage that community uh, to ensure that you know, you're bringing that value on a day-by-day -day basis? So once we've gone through those three steps, that the technology, the Web3 element, is probably only like 20, 25% of the solution. It's a lot of the stuff that sits around it that yes. provides that real value. And the final thing for us is to kind of provide very staged, evolved roadmaps. So, you know, you, you bring clients or industries or consumers with you step by step. 
And that allows for lots of development of, of a bunch of different things. So, for example, like the audience understanding or their education, it allows for UX to improve or wallet technology to improve. It allows for scaling to improve, like layer twos built on top of Ethereum or whatever. And it also allows for you know, yes. the regulatory environment to, um, uh, to evolve as well. So for us, we kind of have those four steps and we follow those religiously, whether we're working with clients or, or with industries. And as I said, like we, we do two types of work. We do client work, which is kind of, you know, fairly standard consulting model. Um, you know, we basically work with clients. They pay us fees. In some instances, we, we look potentially to take revenue share from token sales or something like that. Uh, but in the main, it's kind of fee based work. And then the other half is kind of platform build, which is, is maybe more interesting. This is where we're looking at like hugely disruptive um, concepts to try and turn whole industries upside down. And we've got a bunch of those across like sports, wine, spirits, fast moving consumer goods. So these are all in their kind of relatively early stages. We're still kind of looking for investment in some of those, uh, some of those areas. But basically, we're looking for people to join us who have got you know, access to funds, great networks in those industries, but above all, like a real appetite for disruption because the, the yes. upside potential is so enormous with those kind of platform builds. So that, that's kind of where we focus from a, a mind perspective. Paddy, do you have anything to, to add to that? No, I mean, uh, well, I, I, I do, yeah. I, I, I'd say that uh, it... I'm, I'm surprised, actually, uh, and this, this without sounding out, I'm surprised how easy it is to be able to disrupt some of these legacy industries. I mean, particularly if you look at just disintermediation. So the amount of the amount of parties between a producer and a consumer in some of these markets is absolutely incredible mm-hmm. uh, versus the value that they provide. So we found, we found just even looking at that alone, how that can how that distance intermediation can work using using this arsenal of tools um, is is really incredible. And it take it takes so much of the cost out, so that benefits going direct back to the producer and also and to the consumer, which is one of the primary primary benefits that we're actually seeing. Yeah, makes total sense. I appreciate we're nearly at time, so I've got a couple more questions for both of you, and then we've. As long as you guys definitely can roll this into into a two parter, because I think there are so many more topics that 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 we should explore. But I, I guess, given the journey that you've both been on, I would love to understand the resources that have had a real impact on you. So, any listener that's relatively new to the Web three space or is looking at making the jump from TradFi or whatever other industry that they're in into Web3. Are there any particular resources that, that you found particularly useful coming into Web3? From, from my perspective, like I, I guess in the, the in real life world, like I, I tend to you know, kind of involve, just dive into to books. So in my office at home, I'm kind of surrounded by books and I sort of love the smell, the touch, the everything of them. But one of the, the big benefits of this kind of Web3 space is like how much uh, amazing free content there is available. So, you know, I spend probably too much time consuming information from crypto Twitter. And actually, that, that's sometimes problematic, uh, problematic because the real trick in, on that space is kind of filtering out all of the, the noise and nonsense, the scams, the tribalism, the ephemera, you know, anything that's relating to day-to-day trading and price, like just try to tune all of that type of stuff out. The stuff that really interests me is the kind of macro stuff that, that sits around this yeah. industry. 
So, you know, spend a reasonable amount of time diving into stuff like, you know, Ray Dalio's work around the long-term debt cycle or the fourth turning or consuming product uh, podcasts from people like Robert Breedlove or Raoul Powell or anything with Lynn Alden or Luke Groman on. And you can find those guys kind of, you know, they, they guest on a whole bunch of different platforms. Raoul Powell has his own, uh, um, I guess, media empire with Real Vision as well, where there's a, you know amazing amount of kind of free crypto content. So for me, I tend to focus on the podcast space and, and on that kind of big macro stuff that sits around uh, web, web one and web two, uh, sorry, around web three. Uh, and I, I guess the last thing is probably to, you know, I spend a bit of time listening to those people who are involved in web three, but have been deeply involved at the heart of web one and web two and have a real clear vision for where all of this is headed. So guys like Mark Andreessen from A16Z. So anytime he appears on a, a podcast, like I'll devour that content because there's some, some absolute gems in there. I think you've missed the obvious. You've missed the obvious one. Clearly, the Web three podcast. Indeed, <laughs> I, I, I should almost go without saying, but let's not let, let's let, let's not let it go without saying. Thank you. I, I, you've, you've touched on an interesting point now. So one of the things one of one, one of the things though that I find with Web three um, is getting paid to do work. Right. So uh, if you're if you if you have the time to invest without being paid for it which is a, a real luxury and a novelty to have, then immerse yourself in some of the communities. Um, and there's some, decent, there's some decent discords out there. There's a, yes. lot of, there's a lot that's absolute chuff as well. But it depends on what your focus is as well, because there's so many disciplines that sit within the business. I mean, like Neil, I'm more interested in, I would say this, wouldn't I? But I'm more interested in the macroeconomic situation and the, the, the bigger strategic picture. But if, you know, if it's solidity development or if it's, um, any form, you know, creative design aspects around it as well, coding, development, whatever it might be. You know, there's, there's plenty of communities that you can interact with. And what I have found, one of the positive things I have found about, about the move I've made is the degree of collaboration. You know, we are, relative, as, a, as an overall community, Web3 is still very, very, very small. Yeah. And so therefore, we kind of need to stick together and work together and collaborate in order to, yeah. to grow the size of this opportunity globally. Uh, and so the, the refreshing aspect, I'd say, is anyone who, who does want to move into this space and, and does have the level of intellectual curiosity and critical thinking that's required to succeed, you know, the community generally is pretty open and pretty collaborative. Okay. So if anyone wants to get in... In touch with us after this podcast, or wants any further information, that we're, we're happy to help. Great, and thank you for the shout out there, Paddy. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to pay you your affiliate earnings after this uh, after this recording's over. Um, final question for this episode, um, for, for for both of you, and I, I imagine that many of our listeners will be interested uh, in, in in contacting you. What's the best platform or the best channel to get you on? If anyone has any questions on anything that you've spoke about today or to find out more about mine or just to kind of shoot the breeze. Cool. So I guess it's probably our website. Um, so the address is www.mine.xyz and mine is spelt M-I-N 
three. So it's a bit of a play, obviously, on, on Web3. Um, so if you visit our website, there's a, a kind of contact us um, slot on there. And, and obviously, we'll, that will reach both me and Paddy and we can respond to there. Um, I'm personally a non on Twitter, um, but we do have very recently set up a kind of Twitter account, which is at mine three oh at mine consulting so min3 consulting so if you look us up on twitter and again we'll, we'll kind of respond on that fantastic and for any listeners interested I'll, I'll of course put this all in the show notes as well but paddy neil thank you for what was a incredibly informative and insightful discussion and i cannot wait for part two so thank you both very much indeed pleasure. my pleasure thanks, thanks Callum. A huge thank you to Neil and Paddy for a really insightful and wide-ranging discussion on where Web3 is headed and why it's such an exciting space to be in. To check out the show notes, see upcoming guests and listen to more episodes of this podcast, you can find us online at www.theweb3podcast.xyz. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Callum Wooders, that's Callum with two L's. And if you enjoyed the show, please do give us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. We're doing pretty well on Spotify, but Apple Podcasts definitely needs some work. So if you're an Apple listener, please do your bit for the show. This has been the Web3 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.